pre-COVID, I had gotten a little bit of a, I'll call it a tip. It had basically come from uh, our manufacturing facility overseas in China. It was New Year's Eve, December 31st. It was going really well. We grew really, really fast. It started off in his office in Jupiter, Florida, and then it ended up moving into my house in Fort Pierce. And then ultimately, I think we were occupying like 10 or 12,000 square feet. We had full-blown commercial grade heat presses. Our client list was pretty crazy. I mean, we printed for Meta, Google, Land Rover, the Miami Dolphins. We printed for Yeti for a while. To answer your question of why I don't own it anymore is, yeah, the Loco, it's a hybrid shape paddle, lower swing weight, 5.3 inch handle. Before you can ever focus on innovation, you have to perfect the customer experience. Tell me what you see when you look at this brand. Do you get the feeling that it was created by a former US Marine or maybe the co-founder of a multi-million dollar business? This is the story of Doug Sapusik, founder of Bread and Butter Pickleball, most recently known for their paddle, The Filth. I pick his brain on why he chose a different approach on building a brand than most other companies, his history with building a multi-million dollar business, and he even announces a new hybrid paddle. This is Building Pickleball. All right, welcome to another episode of Building Pickleball. What's going on, everyone? Uh, my guest today is Doug Sapusik. He served in the United States Marine Corps, AutoCAD operator, president of Magnetic Media Works, Hurag co-founder and VP. He's a father of two, husband based out of Florida. To all my subscribers, I appreciate you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me in Austin, buddy. It's been a hell of a trip. Dude, what'd you do today? I didn't even see you today. I woke up and was recovering. I was telling you earlier, but it was cool to be here and see you. But I also have a couple of good buddies that I went to high school with that live in Austin. And um, Eric, one of my friends, showed up to a little tournament thing that we did last night. So we ended up staying up very late and catching up after not seeing each other for 25 years, hanging out late. So this morning I woke up and I edited some stuff. I tried to sleep in and couldn't, but just laid low today. I might, may or may not have taken a nap. Yeah. Tell the audience more about what we did yesterday. You've been taking a lot of naps, huh? Yeah. I'm a napper. I love a, I love a good nap. Just wait, you hit 45, buddy. You're going to be in the <laughs> nap club. Yeah. So yesterday was super cool. I ended up meeting up with Eric and my friend Jarrett. They wanted to tell me about this, uh, this pickleball club that's opening up right next to them. So they took me over there to introduce me to the owner and they weren't like fully open. And you and I had been talking about trying to do this whole like money ball thing where we basically let, you know, four really good teams, pickleball players, uh, get together and compete for 500 bucks, but they had to play with the filth. We quickly messaged, uh, Braxton which you also, you introduced me to all these people. They played pickleball for $500 cash until like 11.30 p.m. It was, it was fun. Yeah, I left that at like 11. It started at nine, got right. there at 8.30. I was tired. Did you look at any of the footage? Was any of it decent or have you not even looked at it? I haven't looked. I've been so off my sleep schedule yet lately because I went to Seattle and then I got a squat rack. So I'm back to like lifting heavy. And ever since then, working out more, I've just been so tired. There's some ballers up there. Some good players, so it was fun to watch. Oh, yeah, the players? Yeah, they're cool. Austin's got some good non-pro talent, like yeah, the up-and-coming talent. Is for solid. sure. Did that guy tell you about the price, what they're charging? Yeah, I think he – I this is – there's they have a founder's deal, I think, and I want to say he told me it was an a thousand bucks to become a, a thousand founder. bucks how? Is it like a year, no, month? A founder's payment that you make, and then I think it's 500 a month, but you're allowed to bring up to seven guests. 
So I think what will happen is you'll start to see like a bunch of corporations and stuff like that that are like wanting to like provide an additional service or a perk for their employees to go in there. And, you know, like imagine like Eric, Eric and Jarrett were talking about, they've got like 35, 40 employees or whatever it is. And like they can sign it up and then they can always have their people like they can go play before work or after work or at lunch or whatever. So. See, I think that's why I don't really understand it or get it, or I don't see myself buying it is because that's just not, I'm just not the audience that caters do. Yeah. Like I'm mostly looking for competitive play and I right. feel like that has more of a laid back or social or networking. Right. That's pretty interesting. Like a pickleball for your, like a company perk. So yeah, back to your point though. Like I, yeah, it's, it, it, you know, that is a conversation is like with clubs like that is like. Are you going to have competitive levels of play? Well, I think you're pro it is probably more of a social type thing and it's made for corporations or groups of friends that like you like you like take if it was like all your friends and you had the same seven guys that always like to play together and everybody pitches in and has their own little membership and kind of like plays together all the time. Yeah, we would never play with seven people. I'm I'm saying <laughs> but I mean like no I'm not saying seven on a court even then we would never have like seven people at the court any competitive groups they always want to play with just four they don't no one wants to rotate out they want yeah. to have people waiting but like who knows that might be the business model that actually makes more money oh I'm sure I mean yeah I, and well I think the thing is the reason why it probably is going to work well in Austin you know and I will say that like the one thing that I first of all Austin has been amazing cool city cool vibes Art scene is crazy. Food scene was good. Not crazy traffic from what I could see. It wasn't bad like LA or San Diego or Chicago or anywhere else. Dallas. The one thing is like you all have a really bad public pickleball court problem. Oh yeah, super bad. And like, you know, I, I had heard that, but like I showed up and I was like, it's crazy. And it kind of sucks because you've just got all these great players that are here that are ate up with the game and love it. And I mean, court availability is tough, man. And and the conditions of the courts, at least, you know, <sighs> yeah, I mean. Atrocious. Bro, if you're on rollerblades on half of these courts, if you were to rollerblade them, you would, like, break your neck on cracks, dude. Like, like a skate. Like, you can't even, you couldn't even skate on any one of those things on a skate. Like, everything's, like, cracks in them. I saw temp nets, lines yeah. over tennis lines. Like, you know, it's, like, not. It's not great. It's not what you would expect from the way people talk about pickleball in Austin. But if you're from Austin, you're like, this is exactly what I would expect. Yeah. It's just like this yeah. ghetto, not ghetto, but it's just like this. No, it's, it's like a hand. It's, it's, it's pretty. It's like a hand me down. I mean, that is an adjective you could use. It's not in great shape, man. It's so bad. Do you have anything more to say about Austin? I'm definitely going to come back and try to bring Julie. I think she would really like this town. I think it's I, a running crew here for her. Oh, I'm sure she'll run this place. She'll see the whole town in three days if we come. Yeah. Cause it is, it is really compact. It's like, it's a, it's you, you're right. You told me when you got here, what's cool is you get from each place quickly and it's true. Yeah. Coming from like the DMV area, DC, Maryland, Virginia, you'd have to drive 40 minutes any pretty much any direction to get anywhere. If you're coming from Leesburg, you have to drive three hours in morning traffic just to get to DC. So yeah, people talk, complain about the traffic here and stuff, but anyways, this is not a podcast about Austin, so I'm going to keep this ball rolling. Let's get into Hoorag. I'm almost certain a lot of people listening right now don't know what Hoorag is, but it was something that I mentioned in the introduction where you were the co-founder, VP. What is Hoorag? What did you do? What products are they? And what happened where it's in 
no longer a company you're a part of. Yeah. So in, in 2012, um, I was introduced to, um, my partner with Hurag, which was Dave. I'll leave his last name off, but we had, he had came to me and I had been designed. I was a graphic designer by trade. Um, some people know that. And, don't really design much anymore, but Dave, at the time I was designing landing pages for e-commerce for Dave and he had came to me and said, Hey, I like what you do. I like your work ethic. He said, do you want to start this business with me? And basically at the time there was a company called buff and, um, we, all my friends at home were all very much like avid outdoorsmen, hunting, fishing, all that stuff. So you're rednecks. Yeah. <laughs> we're in Florida, bro. <laughs> We're sophistinecks. That's what it is. Okay. We're not rednecks. I'll we're sophistinecks. Yeah. I like, like I, like I drive a four wheel drive truck, but it's like, Oh geez. It's, it's fancy. Do you have a flag hanging, hanging on the back of it? <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> we like to do outdoor stuff and we were always fishing and those products back then 2012 were like all the rage for sun protection. And they really are a very utilitarian piece of gear. Um, where does a neck gator, you can wear this bandana a bunch of different ways. If you don't know what a buff or a hoorag is, don't go to buff, go to hoorag.com. I'm still friends with the owners. Um, really good guys, really well ran company still. Um, but Dave and I started that brand selling neck gators and we started off in the retail world. Um, DTC Ecom. And, um, it was going really well. We grew really, really fast. It started off in his office in Jupiter, Florida, and then it ended up moving into my house and, uh, Fort Pierce. And then I moved to Vero and it moved into my other house. And then it went into 1500 square feet, you know, rented like flex space. And then it turned into 5,000. And then ultimately I think we were occupying like 10 or 12,000 square feet. We had full blown, um, commercial grade heat presses that were large format heat presses. And, um, we cranked out and sold a lot of bandanas and it turned, it started retail where we were just buying from overseas. Um, and then we had so many requests for people asking if we could do custom bandanas for people that we started doing that. And at the end of the day, we ended up having, I mean, our client list was pretty crazy. I mean, we printed for like production companies. We printed for Meta, uh, Google Land Rover, the Miami Dolphins. Um, we printed for Yeti for a while, uh, Cosa Del Mar sunglasses. It's, it's like a hero list of customers. We had built a really good B2B brand. So to answer your question of why I don't, I don't own it anymore is quick message about the sponsor of today's episode. It is Viore. I've been preaching about Viore for the past few episodes because they sponsor this podcast. Very fortunate. I love working with them. It's been awesome. I love the gear. I've been wearing their gear for a long time. I had a pair of their board shorts and one of their shirts even before I moved to Austin, Texas. I used to use the board shorts for grappling. But anyways, it's a new perspective on performance apparel. Perfect if you're sick and tired of traditional old workout gear. A lot of that gear that's just like pure cotton, like Viore is great because it has that like soft fabric feel. And the product is incredibly versatile. It can be used for just about any activity like running, training, swimming, yoga. You've seen me do like two out of four of those, like running and training. And it's great for lounging, even like going out on the weekends wearing some of that gear. I see the shorts all the time on like pickleball courts and even when I'm going out for dinner. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash building pickleball. Again, you get 20% off your first purchase, free shipping on any orders of $75 or more, as well as free returns. 
enjoy the rest of the show. Pre-COVID, we had I had gotten a little bit of a I'll call it a tip. It had basically come from uh, our manufacturing facility overseas in China, and this was just, it was New Year's Eve, December thirty-first, and I had a bottle of wine that was mostly gone, and I was standing in front of a barbecue grill. And we had uh, friends and family over and had a big celebration. There was a band there at the house plan. It was like super fun. And I get this message from, from our girl. And she basically says like, hey, there's like this weird sickness going around China right now. And our factory is being told we may have to close. Instead of ordering 150,000 bandanas for Q1, you might want to order more. So I called my, my partner. We f- I found like this article that I ran through Google, Google Translate that was in Russian. And it was the first time that I had seen SARS-CoV-2. And so I called my partner and the, the danger for us at that point was most of our business, even though we were ordering the blanks from China, we weren't asking them to print them anymore. So we were just ordering in straight white bandanas and our own in-house design team was designing these patterns or getting patterns from brands. Yeah. So basically we're just running a, a, a good size B2B business and we were ordering those bandanas as blanks in and embellishing. So back to the whole Q1 150,000 unit like we normally do order, we would order those in white and then we would print them for customers and that was enough to get us through Q1. When we heard that there was this like sickness, i.e. COVID about to come, nobody knew, my partner and I went hard and ordered a ton of bandanas it was basically i want to say we had over the course of three months we had had almost a million bandanas in stock now we didn't do those we didn't order those bandanas anticipating to sell those retail that was straight for the customs business because at that point 80 percent of our business was customs related and i knew that if we couldn't order white bandanas anymore that we would literally have to let people go and basically shut the company down so we just preemptively ordered all those bandanas and then it turned out the president had basically said something along the lines of if you can't get an n95 mask i don't know go buy yourself a bandana or a neck gator and when that happened our sales blew up and we had a solid nine months of crazy amount of sales. We we went at one point, I think we were at 35 employees and like most of those people were shipping people and it was just absolute chaos. And at that point, when it was kind of slowed down and it leveled off, we were still running you know, above our normal numbers. But also I tend to not like working on projects when the creative side or the fun goes away. And I was definitely at a point with that business that I was no longer having fun. And for me, that's, you know, we can circle back to some of that later with bread and butter, but that's the deal for me is the marketing wasn't fun anymore. And it was just a lot of people. And it just wasn't, it just wasn't something that I was like having fun. So I I called my partner and I was like, dude, let's list this thing. So we got a broker. We found a, we found a buyer really quick and yeah, it got purchased. I stayed on for like nine months for the transitionary period and then went away and boom, that's where where bread and butter started after that. Six to nine months after that, I, I had started the pickleball company. What was the thought going into bread and butter? Part of the reason that I started, I had another couple brands that I was working on to to spin up, which are still great brands that if I ever wanted to do them or had the headspace, I would definitely start them. Um, Richard Blanco came to me and it was his idea. He had the he had it branded. He's a, an illustrator. Um, he had had come to me and basically he was an old employee of mine and he came to me basically with a pitch deck and was like, Hey, I want to do this. Um, he's like, it's a little bit capital intensive. And he was like, if you're interested, I'd like you to, to, to work with me on it. So the idea it's no surprise. And I'm, I'm, I don't ever try to hide this is that like, I am 
an e-commerce business person. Like, you know, at the end of the day, I like to sell products to individuals and I like to deliver amazing customer service with a really good product and build a brand that people are loyal to. And, um, I had played some pickleball. My mom has been playing, my mom's like OG pickleballer. I think she's been playing since 2005. And oh, so damn. I, yeah, so That's I, a long time. yeah, so I had been playing, I had, I had played with her a little bit and knew that she was super into it. I knew, I knew it existed. I had played some, I What's always, her rating? dude, not high. <laughs> I mean, she's like 72 now and she's like, she's going through some medical stuff. So she can't really even play anymore. Would she smoke you? Yeah. Yeah, she definitely probably would smoke me. But you know that that like I'm not a good pickleball player. That's a fact. <laughs> that's a fact. But no, it started off. That's the thing is I think that it started off for me as a as a business venture. But also the one thing that I didn't anticipate is the community. And for me, that's what's been kind of the surprise. And for me, it's kind of like I've changed my thought process on bread and butter a little bit. Originally, I'll share. I'll, I haven't ever said this like publicly, but. Initially, when I started the company, it was a 36-month road. That was the map. It was start it, get the sales to where I wanted it to be. That was a very acquirable business. Turn around, sell it, and go on and do another one. That was my initial thought process, and that has since changed. And for a couple reasons, and I'll elaborate. Um, both of my kids have now come to work for me. My daughter, Aurora, used to work at Hurag. She's like a shipping monster. She's a customer service monster. I mean, she's great and knows a lot of things. Then my son, Devin, is like, he's just a really, really smart kid that is a deep thinker and very articulate and um, detail-oriented. And he's now dealing with forecasting. He's dealing, I mean, he writes a little bit of code. Um, so he helps with a lot of the web stuff. Um, he also helps with higher level customer service stuff. And I guess the thing is, man, is like where I'm at now before it was like just straight business, like build this thing, turn around, sell it. Now I've got two kids that I've always loved that I've always tried to be there for as much as I can or could. But I always felt like when they were younger that I wasn't able to be there for them because I was constantly trying to like make a living and pay bills. This is the first time in my life where like, I still need to make a living and I still need to, you know, pay bills, but financially the pressure is not on me like it was. And so this is like a new chapter where I'm, I'm getting to work with them and teach them and watch them grow and give them responsibility. And, um, it's, it's pretty cool, man. I, I had always said I would never have a family business and I, I am kind of feeling like that's why you should never say never is because I'm having fun with it. You told me that you, you. We're at a family business too, weren't you? Yeah, my parents, they own beauty, uh, retail beauty supply stores. We weren't really like heavily involved. I mean, we worked at those stores when we were like little kids, not like teenagers. We were little kids just because they had to bring us in there because my parents weren't going to pay for like daycare or anything. It's either we stayed at home and you don't answer the door for anybody <laughs> or you come into the store and you do some work and you just hang out at the store for like 10 hours. I think the store was open for like 10 hours a day. That's just a family business. And that's like something that made sense was when you're talking about like start a company and make money and like to pay bills. And I say it on this podcast that being in it for the reason to make money is not a bad thing. As long as like it's for ethical reasons and you you're like putting out a product, but not everyone enjoys what they do. Like immigrants come to this country. They don't necessarily enjoy what they do. They just have to make money so that they can support their family. And then they can also, I forgot what the technical term is, but they can send money back home right. as well. Like using like Western union and all those like right. companies like that. I've seen a lot of that in Florida. Um, I used to work in the landscape contracting business and I worked 
with a lot of awesome dudes and most of them were Mexican guys. And then I would say over 80% of them were single working in the United States and sending money back home. And they would like, they would live together in like pretty tight conditions. But like, you know, that's a thing too, is that the, the one thing that's like, I think is pretty cool is I feel like as Americans, family units are not as important to other cultures and other countries. I feel like as a whole, and I've seen this traveling, like, and I even look at my old family, and I think this is why I love the bread and butter thing and my kids there is like, this is feeling like real family stuff that we're doing. And like my daughter, like we, we, we had used to do like dinners once a week at the house. And when she started working, um, again, at bread and butter, she came back, you know, to, and, or not came back, but started working there. And she's like, Hey, I think we should start doing family dinners again. And I was like, there Dope. you go. Like, now you live in the American yeah. dream. That, well, well, the thing is, is like, you know, keep it, keep it tight. And like, you know, it's nuclear families. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And the other side of it too, is, is that like, I think it, working together and making sure that you still have and do the family things together are super important because if you can navigate those two things and like keep work work and stay professional and not let personal stuff get involved with the family stuff, you can hash out some family stuff when you're back at the house over the weekend or at the pool hanging out. But like, if you learn, those are skills that I feel like I'm still learning and that they learn to where it's like, Hey, we're not going to let emotions get the best of us. Like we're here. Our number one job when we're in the office is to serve our customers, to make good products and do what we say we're going to do, which is ship pickleball paddles and stand by them. Don't let some stuff that happened at the house earlier, like make you have a bad day and like hold a grudge and be like, I'm not going to work hard today. You know, it's like, I wonder if the reason why family businesses may be like making a comeback or why it works is because society has shifted because people are on their phones more. So they're like, in a sense that we're more disconnected than we've been before. And then we're not seeing as much of each other. So people are growing apart. And it's no longer the norm anymore of like a family business. Like that's kind of become like rare. There's people that are leaving countries to go f start businesses. A lot of like migrants coming here, like the whole startup culture, a lot of people coming from like India and Asia and like all these other countries. But then even just in the US, you're starting to see like people working for other companies. Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's no longer really the norm. That's it, not like a taboo thing because it's, I feel like it's not happening as often as it was. So it's just like a cyclical process. Like in the past, maybe it was something so then people were against it but now since it's not so typical then people are kind of like seeing that having this like realization yeah no i i agree with that and i also think there's something too like there's family businesses that that get ran and kids are given jobs or put into positions that they're probably not capable of running either and um some families are okay with that like hey i'm gonna start this thing and i'm gonna put my daughter in charge of all the marketing for our entire company and she literally has never ran a pay-per-click account in her entire life or even looked at one so it's like is that a smart move here's the answer no it's not like it's it's dangerous and you can very quickly you know tank a company if you if you if you put a family member in a position because their blood that is not capable of running it and I will tell you, that's why I didn't want to do the family business thing is because my thing is, is like, I know the fastest from zero to hero to scale a company is to put talented people that know their craft and what they do and they can scale quicker. And when I did this by bringing Aurora and Devin on, I'm kind of running a hybrid model. I will put them in positions that I know that they can handle and flourish in and le learn the basics of the business. 
and I'm slowly injecting them like Devin, for example, I wasn't doing this before. And I realized how stupid it was every time that I have a pay-per-click call with my ad guys, I put him on the invitation for the meeting. And he, at the first, he's like, do you want me on this? And I'm like, yeah, I want you on all of them. Yeah. It should be a fly on the wall for sure. Yeah. Just, just, and he's learning, you know? So now he's looking at reports and seeing stuff and he could throw a flag if he sees something that's not right. Do you think it's also a factor that you've launched a successful company and you sold it and you have a little bit more wiggle room to allow for like failure? That's a really good question. And the answer is no. And yes, yes, in the sense that like I have a little bit of extra cash where if I mess some things up, it's not going to ruin my day. However, I don't like to burn cash. Yes, I have some wiggle room. No, I don't like burning cash. And I have a very specific amount of cash that I am willing to burn. <laughs> yeah. And when that runs out, I'll burn the company to the ground because at that point I'm moving on to do something else that is going to make more sense. I don't know all this stuff myself. The smartest thing that... And the advice that was ever given to me was my old partner, Dave. And did Dave die or something? What happened to him? No, he's alive. Do we still, we're still friends, Dave. <laughs> if you're watching this, he lives in, he lives in, uh, in South Florida. He's an amazing, amazing dude. He's still alive guys. What does he do? He is an entrepreneur. Here's the thing. I hate that word, that word entrepreneur, by the way. Why? Because it's, I'm an entrepreneur. You know, part of the reason that I, I hate that word, and I'm going to give a shout out to Chris Olson at the Pickleball Studio. He had me read this book, The E-Myth. No, dude, this was supposed to, I will just, I will. This was, I'm trying to like go on a, it's been like four podcasts in a row now that Chris has been mentioned and I well, wanted he's, to, dude, he's, I, I, mean, I wanted to break the streak. All right. Shout out, Chris. Yeah. Four. So Pickleball Will sent me this book called The E-Myth. Okay. <laughs> I, cha I, cha I changed it from, you didn't catch that. <laughs> damn it now will's being mentioned in every episode too who's next dude who's next oh god anyway chris had me i'm just adjusting this this thing's gonna be this guy's driving me nuts with this thing that's also probably because that thing is so far out yeah we know that right arm's stronger than that oh jesus anyway so chris olson had sent me this book the emith back to why I'm, I'm like i don't like that entrepreneurial word is is that just because you start a business and you have an LLC in your name, like, let's be real. You're not an entrepreneur. You're a sole proprietor. He's talking to me guys. No, this I'm is not aimed at me. <laughs> no, I'm just saying an entrepreneur is somebody that goes out and is like building teams and building brands uh -oh. and scaling things and like building a system that works. That's going to make money that they can step away from and do it again and replicate over and over and over. And I think that's a word that gets thrown a lot around a lot. When I talk about my old partner, Dave, Dave is a freaking entrepreneur. Like, I mean, he has SaaS companies. Um, he's work he, and he's working on some cool projects. Um, I mean, the dude dropped out of college and he's, he like had a, a company called like wake up land. And it was like for college students where you could like pay a, a monthly fee and like it would literally a phone service would call you and wake you up. So you wouldn't miss your classes. And then he started textbook land and like, it was a reseller of like online books and college books. I remember textbooks were the biggest ripoff in college. Oh, he hated it. And like, was like selling them, you know, resell, having a resale program from anyway, he's done all kinds of stuff. And he most recently started this new company called uh, uh, helpful it's pretty badass it's basically a, a program where like if you've got let's say you let's say we're gonna come out with a new pickleball paddle and we have like seven different iterations of what the design of that paddle should look like I can upload that spec demographics of who I want to look at it based on how much money they make what gender they are 
what they're into sports and recreation wise, what their education level is. And then they basically put all the images up and these people get paid to go in and vote on what image you like. So it's being used by e-commerce brands, but it's also like, I probably shouldn't even be telling everybody this, all these other e-commerce companies listening, but it works really well. And like Amazon, it's really good for Amazon because it's like, you can do general stuff and see what images are going to perform the best for products. Anyway, Dave is an entrepreneur and he's not dead. And I talk to him all the time. He's very much alive. He's very much alive. So what you wanted to segue though. What were you, we were talking about the podcast and you said segue into, cause we're. Go right into it. Are you going to be our first guest? Are you going to fly me out there? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to fly all these people out here. I mean, the thing is, is like, if I want to get, if I want to get like engaging people on it, yeah, we're going to have to, we're going to have to fly people in. And like, I already talked to everybody in the office that, you know, all three of us that we're going to have to set a budget for it, but we're building this big set. We're basically, we've got all the equipment there. We, we've got signage being built for it. And um, we're going to start talking pickleball, but also not just pickleball. Like we're going to, we're going to just get on talk about what we're doing as a brand. Um, and just, and just have fun and try to try to do it weekly. And it's cool. Yeah. It should be fun. It's very much like a loose concept. Um, it seems like a pretty natural transition from like the vlogs, which were pretty heavy, heavy in terms of like the resources, the effort a little bit longer. And then we want, and the thing is we want to talk pickleball, but we also like, what is, what's up pickleball's name? Ryan DeWidgen. Yeah. I was talking to him, Braxton Greco. We sat down and had coffee yesterday and they were like, I was basically ripping a lot of things about pickleball. Like just, that sounds about right. Yeah. Like I was just ripping stuff like this is stupid. This is dumb. Why do they do this? This is crazy. By the way, that's where all great ideas come from. You start to see that there are problems or inefficiencies, things that are not as effective as they should be. So then you're like, it all just comes from bitching. Yeah. Just yeah. from complaining. And this guy, <laughs> this guy, dude, he bitches a lot, dude. I, I do. And I'm like, what, how you actually should be looking at those is like, anytime someone's bitching is like, is there, what opportunity is there? Well, that's, you know, that's the thing is I think that, that I have been accused of like complaining about stuff before, but I think that I'm, a, as you know, you always say I talk too much and I totally do. But I think the reason that I, I outwardly complaining about stuff is the way that I solve problems is identify them. I just don't think I'm smart enough to identify the problem and work through it internally without vocalizing it. So I think what I do is I see there's a problem. I tell everybody that it's a problem. I complain about the problem. And then in my head, I'm like, how mad am I about this problem? And if I'm not that mad, I stop bitching about it. Yeah. If but you're, if, if I'm mad about it, I will solve it. Yeah. If you're around Doug and he's bitching a lot and you don't come up with a business, that's on you. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Ryan DeWidgen and Braxton Greco, they yeah. are the guys behind the newsletter, The Reset. Yep. So yeah, so we were, I was talking to him and to circle back around, you know, both those guys are, you know, hardcore pickleballers, you know, just like you, they love it. They're ate up with it. It's, I mean, all their Instagram names used to be their real names. Now they added a underscore PB to the end of it. Like, well, you know, when you change your name on your, your, your personal IG account to underscore PB, you're serious. That was everyone last night. Like yeah. pickleball has always had his name, but then like Braxton has like his, yep. every, they all had personal IGs and then now they have dot PB. It's our like identity. Austin dude. Bricker, uh, Marcelo, they all have like dot PB. Yeah. And they're like, you just see that it's just like these, like, yeah, the stereotypical pickleball photos. Yeah. And you're like, this is how that starts. This is great that they created. People are starting to understand, like, it's hey, a thing. You need social. Yeah. 
at this point <clears throat> in pickleball, you need social. No one cares about if you're good or not. Because I was talking to this other kid on social on Instagram. I was like, dude, becoming a pro in pickleball is a dime it does. It's just becoming like, it's saturated. Basically, he was asking like, I want to document the journey of going pro. I'll, and he's like, what advice do you have? I was like, document everything from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, but also create a storyline that people care about right. because everyone has heard the story of, hey, I'm going pro. It's not exciting. Also- I'm drilling for the 17th time this week. Yeah. Like Also being a pro in sports is incredibly boring. It's just repetitive. So you have to find like what your angle is, like what is your story in each of those episodes because it's incredibly boring. Being a do pro you, is you, so disciplined. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that these, and the only reason I just actually made a post, like I get so many requests, like I was just texting someone before I came here. Like I'm a, you know, a five, five, you know, duper rating. I plan on playing, you know, 23 PPA and, you know, events and turn local tournaments throughout the, the next year. I want you to give me money for travel and for lodging. No. And I, I, I well, <laughs> let me finish. Like, but I get these all day long. Yeah. And like, I wonder, I ask myself when I have gone to tournaments myself to cover, like cover them, meet people, do business, you know, while I'm there, I look at the schedules that the pros are running. And like, I also can you do you know like what what's a what i mean let's take ben johns out of it let's take like a leah jansen or a riley newman or what are they making per year do you think really maybe like maybe like 80k i know like but now that's changed because of the new contract stuff right like the, yeah so i have no idea let, i don't here, even here, like here, to try here's, here's, the, here, here's the thing even if it's 500 grand a okay. year that's a really good salary like a really good salary like at 500 grand you can that's yeah Here's the thing. If someone told me we can snap your fingers and you're going to be a pro pickleball player, Doug, and you're like going to make 500 G's and you're just going to travel freaking 42 weeks out of the year to go play pickleball, bro, I'm not doing that. Like I, I will, I, if somebody wants to pay me 500 grand a year to go travel and go see stuff and have fun, great. That's not fun. Like they're literally staying in like crappy hotels. Well, some of them get Airbnbs. And at that money, you could get a nice Airbnb every time you go. But like to me, like that's like you got to give hats off to those pros, like in the sense that they are very dedicated to their craft and love it that much to be able to like basically sacrifice relationships, quality of life. Like any of those players that have kids, dude, like I don't even know how you do that. Young kids like Jay Davillier, he's got like four kids. Uh, Tyson <sighs> McGuffin's got like six, but his wife is like obviously like great. But yeah, hundred percent, dude. Yeah. Like, she they travel together about, though. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. why it's great. Yeah, when you talk about like relationships, one hundred percent, dude. Gelling with someone, having like a having like syncing up with someone at this time at this period in like society is already difficult. But then if you're gonna tell someone you're a pro athlete in pickleball, <laughs> dude. They're not listening. No. Like they don't really, that's not like a huge draw. It, right. It's cool that you're like a pro athlete. Then like, yeah, I'm pro in pickleball. Like what? Okay. Yeah. And then you have to like, you're basically telling them about like your life while they're talking about like their, the work that they do. Right. It's incredibly boring. They're like, so what'd you do for, what'd you do today? You're like I woke up, I ate, I practiced, I took a nap, I ate, I went to practice again. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, there's, yeah, I don't, I don't quite understand it. I do want to bring this back around to Ryan though. And I, you, I'm like terrible about getting off topic, but Ryan, 
and I were talking and I was like basically back to me complaining, like problem solving the way I do it. And like how you, uh, <laughs> calling bitching problem solving. Let's do it. I always will. That's just my thing. Um, but so, so Ryan and I were talking and I think, I, I don't want to like misquote him, but I think he said to me, he's like, so what, like, are you like a pickleball paddle company owner that like secretly hates pickleball? And I'm like, what? what? No, I don't secretly hate pickleball. Does he? <laughs> no, it was just, it was just one of those things where I, I was like trying to explain to him where I think there's some issues and why, and I, I want to get into this at some point in this podcast, but it comes down to new players coming on court and you make your little note. You're, you're always so good at that. Like he's got a, don't let us forget that. I'm just drawing. <laughs> I'm just doodling. Should I take my shirt off and pose for you? That'd be Should I be like one of your French girls? Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, but Ryan was like, he was like, ask me that question. And I stopped him kind of. And I was like, listen, I was like, we basically need to generate more media that is focused around pros. Everybody knows that our brand is known for being like, kind of out there with our designs. I mean, our newest paddles like shipping with a bottle of hot sauce. People are finding that out. People don't really know what to think about us. And my thing is, is I do this stuff because I want to have fun. And I want to wake up and for me to get out of bed, I have to work on a project that's cool and fun and exciting. Otherwise I sit around like, could I have designed a, a, a entire brand and like, you know, had a triangle logo and like, you know, you talking about yellow any up. of them, but like <laughs> however many triangle logos there are. But my thing is, is like, and take, even it's not that I'm not like ripping on that. I'm just saying I could have designed a brand that was very safe and very simple. But at the end of the day, that marketing is really boring. And we, because we have this fun look and we do this crazy stuff, I think there's certain levels of players. Last night was a perfect example. Like those guys are all playing, you know, Yola, Selkirk, Vatic, 6-0. All great brands, all make good stuff, all you know, reputable companies. And they see us and they're like, What is up with this brand? Like, is this like a like a dude's recess brand? Like, you know, is that what it looks like? But then they hit the filth and they're like, Holy crap, this is a good paddle. So I was explaining to Ryan is we need to bring some people that do care about pro pickleball and what's happening in that spot and kind of inject some of that into some of our marketing stuff so that it helps resonate with players that may not know about us that then begin to realize like, Hey, this is like a valid brand. That's like making great paddles. And so we started, I told Ryan, I was like, I was like, what I think we should do is we start this podcast. I was like, you should come on it and you can After be me. Yeah. Well, I'm saying them on like a weekly where they like, they chime in and give us a rundown of everything pro. And then Tim, if you guys, if you guys are no, Tim. yeah, Let's Tim, go. Tim with the beard, he's on all our packaging. Yeah. He, if you open that box and you see that, like, gargantuan Sasquatch looking guy. That's Tim. That is Tim. Yeah. But the idea is, is Tim, you know, and I will take that information and like, yeah, we'll keep up to date on some of it, but we're also going to probably like poke fun at some of it. Like not trying to be like mean spirited, but also like be mean. probably a little mean. Cause some of it's really crazy. Some of the stuff that goes on, but like and, what <sighs> do you have any examples or do you not remember because your memory is terrible? No, I'm just, I mean, just they take the whole PPA MLP debacle and all that stuff going it was on a marketing play. What marketing, but the other side of it is, is like, I feel bad for the pros because they're being thrown around like ragdolls. And like, did you, I heard rumor that even after they did, you know, it was like sign, 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 all this stuff. And like, I heard somebody told me, I don't know if it was like Jimmy, but I, or he didn't tell me I saw it on a podcast. He had stated that like, 
none of those anyway we could jump back and just like the jimmy jimmy had basically stated that those pros were signing those contracts and like none of them were wet signed like that's they were, what i heard i'm like looking at this and being like like you mentioned pickleball founders not having experienced first time e-commerce brand but also like most of these pros that I see on their Instagram, they have like an agent or maybe, maybe they were just like, maybe the agents were doing their job and said, Hey, this needs to be executed officially, but maybe MLP and PPA were like, Hey, we're not doing this yet because they knew I do. My thing is, are you gonna, are you gonna start an agency? No, <laughs> I am not. I am not. I'm definitely not doing that. Uh, my, my, my thing though is like, and we hit on this a little bit before, like when I complain about pickleball the biggest thing that i don't like about it and i do really want this to be known like and i I don't i i I think it's important for everyone to take a look at what's going on with pickleball everybody before this you know really 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 started to take off in 2020 during covid that's when like the you know it got juiced a little bit i think the thing that happened i was thinking about this last night after hanging out with all those guys i think what happened is that these players all came in at the same time and there was a a lot of people that went from a beginner pickleball player to a 4-0 or a 4-5 all at the same time. Like a lot of them. Like uh-huh. a, like they just mass came in. The ones that got serious kept training, kept doing their thing. They all got to this level. When you get to that level, you're respected. You can play the best of the best. I will show up there. You, we were talking about how bad I am at pickleball. Like you play, you and I played a match together and like I just embarrassed you. Like you were like, like well, it's just not fun when it's not your fault, but it's not fun when you're playing two high level guys. Yeah. And you know who I'm talking about. You're watching this because I also saw you last night. Yeah. Um, and they're just like hitting winners at you. Right. And you're like, well, this isn't cool. Right. Like, well, we know who the better player is. So why not just like move the ball around lightly to him and move it? You can move it as aggressively right. as you want to me. But right. Like when they're like going ahead and pickling us, <laughs> I'm like, Okay. I I guess in some instances I've, no, I've never really done that to complete beginners. If someone is like, has terrible footwork is making a fool of themselves because they're a beginner. I'm not like exposing them for that or like exploiting that. I'm like, cool. what can I do to make this like beneficial for me? But also, so this person doesn't feel like shit. Yeah. Just better systems have to be set, put in place. Yeah. Yeah. I don't so, really know what the solution is. There's no way to check egos at the door on a pickleball no, court. In jiu-jitsu and MMA gyms, very easy. Anytime you walk in the gym. You just throw a punch, dude. As soon as you walk in the door, all the egos are left at the door. No one brings the ego to the mat. Yeah. Because there's a, there's a sense of respect. I don't care like what level you are. Like, Well, everyone's going to call you out on an, in your dojo, right? They'll, they'll call you out on it, but you're also like, hey, we're all here like putting in serious hours and also risking our health and like uh the our livelihood to come in here and uh put training we're all like we're all dedicated we're all trying to be like better so if we're all trying to be better then we should all treat each other with that same level of respect but yeah pickleball is weird because there's also people who've never really been in like a competitive environment so they just have like massive egos about it um i've definitely been there where like if i'm playing with a complete beginner because i just happen to be in a paddle stack Dude, I I don't know how many hours I work or just like ever since I've been doing the the YouTube and content creation path, the only thing I want to do when I play pickleball is just play like competitively. That's also because of my past. But like I don't I don't want to play with beginners when I'm out there most of the time. 
it's like I want to get my competitive games in. I just want to dial in and be focused. And like I love that feeling. And that's all I want at the end of my like at the end of the day when I'm like done working. I just want to play competitively. Looking at your brand and what you've done and knowing like a little bit about your background, you have a history with marketing. Can you go into how that drove like your brand? Like that is something that separates you from probably like 90% of the brands in Pickleball is you actually know the marketing aspect. And a lot of people are just starting with product first and then you're starting with, well, yeah, not, not that they're completely separate but you're coming in with a much heavier you asking the process hand. brian um or or how or why you started with like marketing first because if you look at like a lot of the paddle brands they're just everyone already knows this majority of these paddle brands are just looking through a catalog and selecting it and they're going off like product of the paddle like the feeling of the paddle they don't care about the design they don't care about creating a brand that resonates with people which is dude i as a kid i used to look at skate magazines i used to look at shoe catalogs i used to walk into stores and look at all the different i didn't even know what a colorway was but i would look at all the different colorways and i'd be like dude look at this one's got checkerboards on it and this one's yellow this one's red look literally at- what you're wearing right now uh, I like those two colors. Yeah. But it's dope colorway. But <laughs> it's colorway, bro. <laughs> anyway, my point is is like I was so I have always been a consumer. Like I my mom used to get like I was super annoyed with me because it'd be like, you know how you do your first day of school shopping and like I was the kid that was in like a Foot Locker looking at like a $130 pair of Nike's in like 1983 or whatever it was. And my mom is like, there is like, or it would be 83, 89 is probably when I started looking at things that way. And she would be like, there is no way that I'm spending this kind of money on shoes. And I was like, well, fine, I'm going to go make money because I am buying these shoes because they're rad. So I was always in two things. I've gotten a little bit more or less caring about them now, but I think growing up that way, I was always enamored by what, again, I didn't know what a call to action was when I saw an ad. Like I didn't know what, I didn't know what the marketing initiatives were. I didn't look at something and like know all the terms to say, Hey, like this is how people are like catching a customer. I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't, I I was being caught. And eventually when I started designing, I started realizing like, Oh, this is how you catch a customer. Start learning the hows. Yeah, you start learning the hows of it. And, like, again, like, it's not a secret. Like, I didn't go to college for any of this stuff. I just studied it, like, religiously all the time. And, like, literally, when I started, I started a web design company. I had never built a website, but it was WordPress was out, and I knew that I could hire it out and have sites cut up. So, like, literally, I'd have a client, and they'd be like, uh, yeah, we, they would call on the phone and be like, we heard you're the, like the best web designer in town. Da, da, da. I live in a small town. It wasn't very hard to be number one, but I was number one, but they would come in and they would say, Hey, you know, we have a lawn care business and we want a really cool website. Well, dude, you got Google, like you just Google best lawn care websites. And all of a sudden all these templates come up and all this other stuff. And now I never did templates, but I always took pieces from a template and was like, I like this aesthetic. I like this color scheme. Always steal, man. Yeah. Always. Always. Yeah. Yeah. Always. And people, I think people like, and we, we catch it like, Oh, bread and butter is just, you know, doing another panel blah, blah, blah. And it's like, guys, like that is, that is 
Yes, we are just taking existing shapes and other things that are out there. But at the end of the day, I always try to remember this quote the right way. But Steve Jobs said, and let me get this right as close as I can. Somebody will Google it and they can leave it in the comments for the exact quote. But the quote is, before you can ever focus on innovation, you have to perfect the customer experience. And so, and those aren't the exact words, but it's, it, 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 here's how I interpret that. If you start a business and you focus 100% on being a leader or innovator in that space, where the most important thing that needs to happen for you to grow is to begin cash flow and capital coming in the door. Now, if you, if you've got $20 million and you want to start a pickleball paddle company and like you want to go sit around for two years and like beat your head against the wall, trying to keep up with the newest paddle. You're going to design this perfect thing. Yeah. Go ahead. Burn cash. But if you want to prove the concept, you want to prove sales and you want to get it going, go ahead and start with a paddle work on the customer experience. And so that's 100% as our goal is like when we first started, like what are returns going to look like? How are we going to get these paddles in people's hands without and remove all the hurdles and all the friction from the buying experience and then when capital starts getting made like it is now, now we can talk about it. Like we have a patent pulled on a paddle. It's super cool. Like I want to talk, I actually want to talk to some other the smaller brands and possibly even license some of it to them. But before I ever even do that, that's like so cart before the horse. You need a customer list. You need clicks. You need traffic. You need top of funnel stuff happening before you can ever say, I'm going to, I'm going to invent the world's best pickleball battle. Like some of the brands like Six Zero or Vatic, they put out the product first, the paddle, and they just focus on getting that and that paddle and the product brought in the customers rather than starting with like- Yeah, oh, you can totally do it that way. You can totally do that. And then both those guys have been wildly successful. And they're, and they're, and I mean, to my knowledge, both those companies are like ran really well. Like, you know, I've, watched i've chatted like a little bit with dale like here and there nothing nothing extensive i've i've been friendly with uh with daryl and those guys are are doing cool stuff there's nothing wrong with doing it that route but for me i'll say it like this so take the new gearbox paddle that's coming out i know vatic players and i know six zero players and here's the deal is that very few of the people that buy those paddles are going to be loyal to that brand if something new comes along that may be a little shinier. Is anyone in pickleball really loyal to any brand right now, I, though? I think I think we have some. Do we have some? We got some freaking troopers, dude. Like if you if you read the comments that come on our social media, we've got people that are like, "If you need me to set up in this state for <laughs> you this, need me like to kill somebody." <laughs> I got you. No, like people, people, here's the thing is like posting a picture of a pro with like a, a performance paddle and it's like black and white or maybe like color graded just right and blah, blah, blah. And it looks cool. It's like, cool, whatever. But like, you know, doing stuff where you're having fun with, and this goes back, there's nothing wrong with what those guys are doing. Here's my thing. And this is a selfish thing is that there is no way that I'm going to wake up every single day and want to put my shoes on and be excited about what I'm doing that week if I've got to market something freaking boring. No way. Yeah. This whole topic of like the brand though, like not that this may not be your goal, but when I look at brands in any other industry, if you look at the shoe industry, Nike, Reebok, Adidas, that's what I meant. Adidas, not Reebok. 
who is wearing Reebok still to this day. Uh, then you look at phones, you look at Apple, Google. So like a lot of those brands, even if you look at like camera gear, like Peter McKinnon's brand is more on that. Like it looks like, I don't know what the right word is, like top tier performance. Does that uh, affect your thoughts on your brand at all? Are you Are you asking, do you think that we could like rebrand ourselves to be a little more serious? Is that what Not you're if you can, you could, but like all those brands at like any of the levels and like in any like consumer good at the top are always these like monochromatic looking brands with that are. Yeah. Here's the thing, dude. There's a big, there's a big difference. I mean, well, first of all, there are brands like you could look at Vans. Vans sells more pairs of shoes, I think, than any freaking shoe company on the planet. And they're not monochromatic. You can like, I've got a pair of vans that have freaking dolphins on them, like porpoises. I mean, like, it's just, a, it's there, there, you can have fun and do it. But the, the reason why I'm going to, this is, this is my opinion of what drives monochromatic design. First of all, by nature, most humans aren't comfortable wearing bright stuff because they stand out and they don't want to stand out. There's a lot of people that don't want to be like, take Travis Rettmeyer, for example, that dude doesn't give a damn. He's going to put on a flamingo shirt and go out there with like slick back hair and talk trash and like have fun and like be a fun pickleball player like that. He pulls it off well. Yeah. And some people have the personality to do that. A lot of people don't. So that's one reason. And dude, I've been doing e-commerce for a long time and I will tell you top selling colors, white, black, gray, always, always. The thing is, though, is like I don't want to back to the creativity. Thing, I don't want to work on it that way. And you know, we're gonna we have some apparel apparel lines that we're working on, and the performance line it's gonna be boring. Like it's gonna be those colors. But then we're gonna have a right couple. Right up my alley. What's that? Right up my alley. Yeah, I'm just if gonna you look. Open up my drawer right now. It's like gray, 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 like two different grays. Yeah, we're we well. Devin texted me earlier today. He's gonna call the line the Brian Lim emo line. It's just going to be an emo line, like black, just black, black, dark colors. I'm kidding. But no, it's, that's, that's part of the thing. The other, the other reason I think that a lot of companies don't do what a Vans did is that I will tell you, it is way, way, way harder and a lot more work to pull off sophisticated in your face design stuff. Risk. Well, it's risk involved. And also it's just more work. Like every paddle that we launch we do an entire branding campaign on it. The stuff that these companies do once when they launch the company, never do it again. Oh. We're doing that on every single paddle, brand kits, packaging, all of that stuff. It's a lot more work. And the thing is, is like the reason why most people don't do it is because they can't not because they don't want to. Some of them I think would want to, but it's a, it's a much heavier lift. It just so happens that like I'm very comfortable in that space and it's the space that I want to be in. What's the most difficult thing that you're experiencing right now? The ambassador program. <laughs> what about it? We've got an inbox full of applicants and like Instagram messages for days okay. and of people wanting to get involved. And um, I don't know that I really want to get into why I've slow rolled it, but it has to do with some administrative logistics and a little bit of tax stuff that I want to make sure is done correctly and above board. And like when you're dealing with all these 1099s with individuals, cause it's all coupon code based, right? 
So we have a we have a new piece of software that we're getting ready to kick off that's going to make all of that possible. But even if that was done today and we were ready to sign these people up, I promised myself that I would never run a unthoughtful ambassador program again. And like right now, the standard operating procedure with these paddle companies is, is you know, you issue them a code, you know, there's various different, you know, incentives. They get paid out. Whoever's buying the paddle from them or using their code gets paid a commission. But back to the loyalty thing that I was talking to you about, when you go to these courts and talk to these ambassador kids and you open up their bag, it's like a bread and butter filth, a double black diamond, a Vatic V7 flash, probably a prism, a Selkirk, whether whether it's like a Vanguard, a Vanguard Air or a was it the O6 is the new one that I wrote the carbon fiber face like they all have these paddles and it's like you know hot buttered popcorn which one you want like take this one take that one it's like they're just like shilling them all and the thing is is like that's cool but like also I would like to be more thoughtful with the program to when we send somebody and hire them on as an ambassador there's more of a relationship there and they get more stuff from us to where they really do want to wear and and have all of our gear. And so that's what we're doing is we're trying to like stutter step a little bit. Like, I don't want to be like, oh yeah, just take a paddle. Here's a paddle for, you know, 30% off or 50% off or 40, whatever you want to do with the program. And then go like shill paddles all over the place. Like I want that kid swagged out, dude. Like, and not, not with like cheap promo gear. Like I want to put them in a legit shirt that would retail for $80, $70, something you actually to do when you have a shirt you like, when you, do, do you wear, you wear, you want to wear it every day, like, or like, have like Viore. Uh huh. Exactly. That's my point. <clears throat> my sponsor. But my point is, is like, we want to have quality products like that where when they get a package from us, they are like, part they feel like they're part of something and they're not just like a you know you go to the courts you're like oh hey i'm i'm dude i've literally been on the courts and seen two or three different people like trying to get their code for an i won't name a brand but like to that person before he'd like no use my code and they joked they're like no nah, you you use you the other guy used yours use mine like that kind of stuff and it's like i don't know man like i don't i know it probably is it doesn't it's not probably it is working for them i just want to do something that's a little bit more thoughtful interesting Maybe it was just an example, but the paddle, like having multiple paddles. So do you want a filth ambassador to only be using filth gear or not filth gear, but bread and butter gear? Yeah. Oh, uh, I'll, I'm, I think people should always be switching or, or should have a choice of like paddles in their bag. Just like test. Well, that's up to us. That, that's, that's up to us. And this is what we're working on is expanding out to have a paddle. For right, right now, we're very unidimensional with an elongated paddle. If you want a five and a half inch handle, you got the filth. Thermoformed edge wall injector, 16 millimeter. What's their next option going to be? <sighs> Segway. The Loco. This, that is, shirt. This, this is the it's the colorway for it. Yeah, the Loco. It's a hybrid shape paddle, lower swing weight, 5.3 inch handle. it will be the Loco. And um, I don't know when this this video is probably going to go up next week. That when it goes up, we'll It'll go up yeah. So week, by the time that happens, we should be releasing the first looks on the paddle. We haven't really shown people what it looks like. We've showed everything else, like the box and the hot sauce. Every 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 box is shipping with a hot sauce for the first thousand orders on that. I've yeah. seen it, and no other paddle 
Okay, I need to stop saying that. <laughs> no other paddle. <laughs> it look <laughs> it looks different and it you're balancing you're doing a good balance of uh fun, but also it looks performance. So it's cool. Going back to that, you know, this is where I always battle is like I wanna make it crazy, but it's like, well, let's try to like let's try to like slick this one up a little bit and just keep it super clean. Like when I designed this paddle, I would literally like, was like design it for Brian, just super simple, nice, clean lines. He put yellow on there for me, but yeah, no, it's coming out. We're super excited about that paddle. Um, and then we had a little meeting today and there's a, another paddle that we're, we had another paddle that we were working on that I hit pause on cause it was some news that just changed that I don't want to get into on this podcast, but we're, we're working on it. We, we're going to shift and go to another paddle that we had decided to not do, but now we're going to bring it back, I believe. And then my signature paddle, but yeah, we're, we're, we're excited about the loco. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot. We have a lot of customers that are like, Hey, I love the filth, but you know, I want something with a lower swing that slower swing weight. That's a little faster in the hands. Filth is, I love that paddle. I really do. Uh, I was using the 006. I had tested the 60. 60 just wasn't for me. I didn't like it. I know a lot of people do. Not for me. Never really tested the Vatic Pro. I hit Jeff's a little bit. I was using the 006. The Filth. I guess I had used I used Volaire before that. Um, but the Filth's been my favorite paddle. It's a good paddle, man. It's just like the elongated. I like the white on white. Aesthetics and performance just all around has been great. Yeah, it's funny because I, really cause like, I, I like, I'm, I, and I, I'm like the last person in the world that should be like, like giving paddle advice because I just don't play that much. But I play, the way that I do this testing is because I'm not capable of like really, really knowing what I'm hitting very well. Uh, and I'll admit that I'm not afraid, but like, that's why I have literally a hot list. And when we get a paddle in, I mean, you know, it's like, boom, I send out like 20 or 30 of them. And I'm like, guys, what do you think? Hit this. Yeah. It's not, no, I'm sure a bunch of them are doing that, does yeah. that either. Yeah. 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 I just, I'm not like, I, I let other people hit it. And like, you know, it's, that's a tough thing to do too, because like, if you sent 10 out, you're not going to get 10 out of 10 people that are like, I love this thing. But, but when you get six or seven, like more than 50%, 70% like it, it's pretty good. And if, and, and here's the thing is, as long as the other 30, 40% say, I don't hate it, it's a good paddle. If you ask them, they typically say something like, I just don't like elongated paddles or I just don't like hybrid paddles. So you want everyone to say it feels good. If they don't like it, they just say, but this isn't the shape. If you get people that are like, I don't like it, dude, then you have a problem. They usually take care of the shape. They usually take the same paddle and they're like, we're going to offer it in multiple shapes. That's, that's an easy, but place. I really like the loco. Like I, I like the filth a lot too, but when I hit the loco pre-production sample i was like okay i i i might be a i might be a hybrid guy i like it i've been telling everyone about it like not even just because you're here like i've been telling even all some of the few people that were there last night like they had seen me we've been playing we played at like uh the rooftop courts and i was they're like what paddle is that and i was like oh dude it's filthy you can use it if you want and they're like oh man it feels good as soon as they feel it, like oh it feels good yeah. and they hit around with a little bit like ryan was doing that ryan division Anything I haven't asked you about that you would like to talk about? I think we covered almost everything that, that kind of explains like who we are and what we're doing and maybe why we are a little bit out there. And, you know, it really comes down to like, we want to be out there cause it's fun for us. And I, I really, I think it's covered it. Like 
you know, I guess I, I, I will share this because we're talking about paddles and we talked about being taken seriously because of our graphics and how we aren't just playing it safe and doing like kind of weird things. And I, I think people should know a little bit of the backstory is that when we started Bread and Butter, all of our paddles were sandwich paddles that really did look like a dude's recess. Like it was like, and, and believe it or not, we still sell a good amount of those paddles. Like beginner players want color on their paddle. And I don't think that I'll ever get rid of not, I'll continue to do fun paddles. In fact, we've even looked at some licensing stuff here that we'd like to execute in 2024. That's even crazier. I mean, crazy graphics on paddles. They're not going to be a paddle that you and any of your friends are going to hit, but they're going to be a paddle that a lot of new players to the sport want to hit. And here's the thing is if I can get people hitting a pickleball, because of the way a paddle looks and they impulse buy something because it looks cool, that's a new player potentially. And so I always want to keep doing that. I'm not going to, you're never going to see bread and butter just all blacked out aggressive pro level paddles. We want that in the lineup and it will be part of the lineup. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> you know, we started with those fun paddles. We pivoted a little bit and launched the filth proved that it worked and people loved it and so it opened our eyes to that but i think i think people need to know that we came with you know basically wet behind the ears like not knowing like what we were doing came into the scene we're like okay now we figured this out like this whole thermoforming thing is going on and we did it and we're going to continue to develop you know higher end paddles but we also want to have like again all of us love this game whether you love it because you want to grow a business and you want to secure uh, financial stability for your family, or you want to become a pro pickleball player, or you just enjoy getting your workout in without running down the road like my crazy wife, and you just want to go exercise. It doesn't matter what reason you're doing this. It's in all of our interest to grow the game. And we've used that hashtag throughout our marketing stuff, grow the game. So, you know, that's the deal, man. Don't, don't turn away new pickleball players, embrace them, bring them on because they are going to be, and I, it's kind of cliche, like everyone, you know, we need to, you know, we need to have new players coming in and it is important. It's, it, it, it's said, and even if it's not, even if it's being said just because it's a cool, popular thing to say, or it sounds good, there's a lot of truth to it. Like got to keep, got to keep new people coming into the sport. Where could people find out more about bread and butter yeah they can go to uh bnbpickleball.com i encourage you to read our about us page um, oh boy and um that's or, a great page <laughs> it's a good page that's literally like one of my favorite movies it, by the way just real quick i won't go long about this but so the producer the producer's wife of that movie when we first started freaking emailed us and i thought we were like going to be in some trouble. Like I was like, Oh my God, we're like three months into this. And she says, Hey, can you give me a call? And I'm like, Oh my God, dude, Devin's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, like, just let me handle it. Let me take a deep breath. But I call her and she's like, Oh my God, I love you guys. And I was like, ma'am, she's like, let me tell you the backstory. She's like, my husband produced the stepbrothers movie. Dude. Yeah. By the way, I got a Sony a six, and that camera has overheated three times four times that's that's a brand new camera like not just i bought it, it because it's new it was newly released you know who recommended that camera to me chris olsen <laughs> isaac isaac olsen will. oh will will you trying to sabotage well me? i i had called isaac and chris too because we're doing that podcast and that's what i was gonna that's what i was gonna do i'm gonna i'm probably i'll probably still try them because they're a good price like so <laughs> but anyway, yeah, they don't. So the 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 older people don't get the joke, and they think it's oh, like they just a, think it's like a natural, like a 
real story. They think it's a real story, dude. Like oh they, that Richard and I started this this pickleball company because we had like failed businesses and wrecked our yacht and like all and like we have like the logo it's like tennis worldwide on there and all this stuff dude anyway thanks man i appreciate it yep 